From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 105. We recently had our first catcher on the show, and it went so well that I want to make sure we got another one on here to keep the momentum rolling. So we've got an awesome guy on today, uh, someone who took a little longer in the minor leagues and made his major league debut, and he's been one of the really good feel-good stories in Major League Baseball this year, and and a guy that you have to root for. So excited to have him on, and and definitely a, a good lesson in perseverance with lots of wisdom to share along the way. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle friendly whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for Sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest was born and raised in Michigan and was named Gatorade High School Baseball Player of the Year there in 2011 after batting 495 with 14 home runs, 54 runs batted in as a catcher and third baseman. He was drafted by the Cleveland Indians in the seventh round of that year's draft and chose to forego his commitment to Ohio State to sign and start his professional career. After seven years in the minor leagues, the Indians added him to their 40-man roster at the end of 2017. He was called up to the big leagues on September 1st, 2018. 
After multiple stints in the big leagues with the Indians over two seasons, he was traded to the Tigers in January of 2020. In the spring of 2021, he established himself as a mainstay on the Tigers MLB roster. Along the way, he caught a no-hitter and was named American League Rookie of the Month for July, becoming the first Tiger to win the award since 2010. For the month, he hit 265 with a 627 slugging percentage and nine home runs and 29 RBIs. Please welcome to the show, Eric Haas. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm really excited to do this just because we've we've probably known each other here for for four or five years, but you know this was obviously a, a big time breakout year for you, and I'm I'm curious to get a little bit more insights on how that came about and um, you know what you did to to you know not just have the success that you had initially, but to you know project it forward in a new organization with new opportunities. But before we get to that, I'm actually intrigued to get kind of a Midwest high school baseball perspective. So you you grew up in Michigan. Um, and my frame of reference is really the Northeast. So we see a mm-hmm. lot of hitters, you know, from cold weather climates who often get overlooked just because, you know, they say the the kid from New Hampshire has never seen 90 mile per hour arms in high school. So, <laughs> you know, when he hits 600 in high school, it's against, you know, 80 to 82. I, I'm curious, did you have that held against you at all in Michigan? Was, did you face enough competition to be really critically evaluated well um, during your baseball career in Michigan? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, um, luckily for me, uh, the Detroit Catholic league was, um, pretty good competition. I mean, there's always guys going to sec schools. Um, there's always some pretty good arms. And then, uh, the summer ball teams that I played for, we'd always be traveling around, you know, playing a lot of the Southern guys and stuff. So, um, yeah, it wasn't as consistent as some of the guys might see down South, but, you know, I was, uh, fortunate enough to, um, just kind of see that and, and overall be a little bit more prepared than a normal, I guess, uh, cold weather hitter. I got you. Were you a multi-sport athlete? Was it, what was the, the kind of the approach growing up to, to overall development? Yeah, I was up until high school. Um, I played hockey, football, golf, just kind of whatever season it was, um, kind of just getting a, a good, good mix of everything. But then once I got to high school, baseball started to get a little bit more serious and just kind of took off from there. And I know you were, you know, kind of celebrated as like a power hitter and you're a catcher slash third baseman coming out of, of high school. Were you a guy that, that found the weight room in high school? Did it, did it come later? Um, what was your experience in, in the strength and conditioning world? Oh, definitely. You know, I didn't really know too much about it uh, pre-high school, but luckily I had a, a great coach and, and Tony DeMar um, kind of helped me out a lot in high school. And we had a, he ran it just like a college, you know, we had a pretty good strength and conditioning regimen. Um, we kind of made do with what we had, but, um, you know, we won a couple state championships and kind of saw that turnover, um, coming from a, a really small Catholic school to, to be doing that on the state level was awesome. And I just kind of saw that importance really early on. And that's kind of, kind of how my power, um, ended up coming through a little bit. You know, I felt like I always could hit, I always mm-hmm. felt like I had pretty decent hands, but, um, the, the work that I put on the strength and conditioning aspect really started to kind of take it to the next level. Absolutely. And you, so you, you signed in the seventh round out of high school. Um, you've been committed to Ohio State. I, I'm curious, you know, what factored into your decision? I mean, was it a tough decision, sign versus don't sign? What, what went into that? Yeah, there was a lot that went into it. Um, yeah, I didn't really get um, too, too recruited by, by local schools, which is kind of weird. Um, but uh, Greg Beals, he was at 
uh, Ball State before, and then um, when he took the job at Ohio State, I think I was one of the first kind of guys that he started recruiting. So um, once I took my official visit down there and saw the facilities and everything, you know, coming from where I'm from, it was like <laughs> I'm definitely definitely going to come here. And I really didn't know much about the draft. Um, you know, like you said, there's not there's not a whole lot of guys who could draft out of high school, um, kind of where I'm from. So um, once that started to be a possibility, uh, you know, I obviously wanted to take the pro route as quickly as I could. Nice. And then, so when you actually get to pro ball, this is the one, maybe the, the question I have that, that intrigues me the most. You, you know, were you a catcher slash third baseman coming out? Were you third baseman exclusively? Cause the, the Indians kind of made the, the decision to, to switch you to catcher pretty quickly. Once you got to minor league baseball, what was the, what was the original path? And then how did it detour? Yeah, mostly just played the left side of the infield. You know, I probably caught 10, 15% of the games. And um, overall, just kind of athletic. You know, I just pitched. I played left side of the infield, like I said. I caught here and there. Um, but I guess Cleveland just saw a lot of my value being behind the plate. So once I was drafted, I took ground balls the first day. And, you know, they're like, hey, you're going to be a catcher from here on out. So, <laughs> so I was, uh, you know, I caught for solely 11 years and then this mm -hmm. last last year you know aj's kind of moved me around you know playing mm -hmm. some first base left field and just kind of trying to tap into a little bit more of uh, my athleticism absolutely it, I, jose trevino was actually a recent guest on the podcast and he has a little bit of a similar story um you know his last year at Oral roberts they they went you know predominantly to catching and then once he got to the, the ranger system they they basically pushed for it full time I'm curious, what was the biggest adjustment when you went from being predominantly third baseman to being, you know, all in on catching was, was there a certain part of the game that came naturally and some that was really, really difficult for you? Was it game calling? Was it pitcher relationships? You know, what, what did you struggle to pick up on? Um, I think a lot of it, like, was just like you said, kind of off the field stuff, you know, the preparation, um, all the game plans, there's so much data now on every hitter, um, just kind of streamlining that process so when you get into the game it's a little bit more feel you know you can kind of let that um, kind of natural flow of the game and kind of tendencies what you're seeing and whatnot at the plate kind of kind of come through but a lot of the prep you know we do it before the games with the scouting reports i mean with the pitchers and everything um, that kind of took me a long time to to grasp you know it felt like i just want to kind of get out there and, and do things naturally and it just it doesn't work like that at this level yeah i mean i I, when do you? I, I'm actually curious about this. Just I haven't worked with some, you know quite a few veteran pitchers who who really like to read swings, and you know mm -hmm. part of their success is obviously working closely with their catcher, who they, they expect to be reading those swings the same way. Otherwise, you're you know you're shaking 15 times before every pitch. You know, For sure. Where where do you get to that point in your career? You know, I mean, does it does that happen in the minor leagues, or do you not really get that experience until? you know, you're actually in the big leagues and you're, you're getting around veterans who have actually, you know, who are able to do that more so than a, a classic minor league pitcher. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. And, you know, coming up with Cleveland, you know, I was lucky to, to be around just a lot of veteran pitchers who, um, you know, the, the whole scouting report and analytics and stuff, it kind of came full circle, you know, um, they're, they're big on it sometimes. And, you know, on a, on a one at bat basis, you know, analytics might be, might be great, but you know, right then and now we need to pitch to get a guy out in a big situation it might go completely against what the analytics say. And it's just kind of what we're seeing. So, um, it took me a little bit to kind of trust my gut instinct mm -hmm. with, with that, but, um, you know, it, it kind of takes you being burned a couple of times at the big league level to realize, okay, you know, the analytics aren't always going to be right. And your gut's not always going to be right, but yeah. what are you comfortable getting beat with?
I mean, is it is it a hard decision to have to like you were you were kind of up and down for a couple of years there between you know Cleveland when you made your debut and then and obviously when you got to Detroit initially are you less likely to be be bold and assertive with that stuff when you know it's not kind of like a regular roster spot or, or does the game not really change in those dynamics? Um, initially, yes, um, but once the pitcher started trusting me more and more, you know, they start seeing that I've done all my prep work and we're meeting, we're talking about everything before the game. And then, uh, just to go out and have those guys trust me, you know, where they're not shaking or if they are shaking, you know, they're, it's, um, the very next sign is exactly what they're looking for. There's always you know, a couple, couple options with, with some of these guys, but, um, overall, just the trust from them goes a long way. And then, you know, once you kind of have that trust and you're talking through everything in between innings, it, it becomes really easy and kind of streams land the process. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. You had, you had seven years in the minor leagues, which, you know, isn't unheard of, obviously, for a high school pick just because there's, you know, most a lot of guys go to college for three years and, you know, four years for a college pick is not a long time either. So, mm-hmm. you know, when, you, when you're talking about seven years in the minor leagues before you actually get your debut in 18, what do you think it was that, you know, that kept you from moving senior? Was it just, a, you know, not having an opportunity in, in that organization or guys that were ahead of you? Do you feel like there were, you know, was learning the catching position or were there, you know, things that you needed to work on that, that kind of contributed to that? Yeah. I mean, there was a, a couple, you know, all-star caliber guys ahead of me at the big league level. So moving up each level made it a little bit slower and slower. You know, some, some places have kind of had, some revolving doors and they're trying to you know answer some questions and they're filling in spots and giving guys opportunities. And, um, and, you know, it just wasn't like that with Cleveland, you know, they were winning and they had a couple of good guys there. So yeah. it's really nothing I could do about it. Um, especially having a couple of good years in the upper, upper minor league levels. And it just, you know, basically keep doing what you're doing kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I was always just a, a good backup plan for them, you know, and mm-hmm. um, people, people weren't getting hurt and there just wasn't opportunity. So, um, you know, unfortunately for me, I felt like this is something I could always do. It just, um, it was kind of a question mark. I didn't know if I could do it at the big league level. Yeah, so the opportunity does a lot. Um, and, and you got up at 18 and, you know, you, you kind of stuck this year in 2021. You know, was it about opportunity or once you got to the big leagues, did you have to make some hefty adjustments, whether it was either on the, you know, the, the hitting side of things or the actual receiving slash game calling? Um, I didn't feel like I had to make too big of adjustments. Um, it was just, like I said, kind of a question mark. You know, I really didn't know what to expect until I was up here playing every day. And you, you can't really make adjustments until you figure out what these teams are trying to do to you and um, how they're going to pitch you and where they're going to be playing you defensively or vice versa. You know, on the uh, on the defensive side, you can't be making adjustments that, that don't need to be made. You know, it's just kind of one of those things where the game will tell you what you need to what you need to do and. Um, you know, unfortunately for me, I didn't, uh, didn't get those at bats before. So I didn't yeah. really know what adjustments I had to make. Yeah. And, and, you know, I am like intrigued, you know, if you look at how the catcher has traditionally been, been valued in major league baseball, it's, it's certainly evolved over the years, right. To, you know, we always celebrated catchers who were great and offensive in that regard, but, you know, I'm, I'm not sure as much attention was given to both receiving and game calling as much as we, you know, we maybe celebrated guys who had absolute cannons or, you know, guys that were able to block in really, really big spots. When in reality, some of those things are probably being de-emphasized a little bit more now. Mm-hmm. Has that been your experience that the, the position has evolved since you, you know, you first entered baseball out of high school or, you know, what's been your perspective on the whole, I guess, catching industry? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just um, there's so many different ways now, whether it be analytics or, you know, front office, whatever they're looking at that just um, that add value. You know, there's so many guys that do things completely differently that just add value to teams, you know, whether that be 
with the bat throwing. Um, some guys have carved out a really good niche of just receiving numbers that mm-hmm. um, add ridiculous value. Um, like you said, some guys block and, and don't receive right as well, and, and that adds great value. So um, just trying to be obviously well-rounded as possible, but um, there's definitely some guys who um, have kind of picked that avenue and they've just mm-hmm. been able to add value every single year, You know, whether that be – uh, some guys are, are banging with the bat and um, you know some guys are, are elite defensively and um, they're just overall just adding team value and that, that's huge for them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I alluded to it briefly, but, you know, there's a lot of competing demands, you know, as an MLB catcher and you, and you hinted at it as well, you know, both on a daily basis and really on a, on a yearly basis. You know, how do you balance all those different things that you need to take into account with your preparation? You know, is it the kind of thing where you feel like, hey, this is the part of my game that is the weakest. I give it the most attention, you know, or is it so much is it, is it dictated by outside factors of, you know, all that matters is, is serving the pitching staff. And, you know, what's your what's your kind of mindset with that? Do you have a prioritization structure? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, the um, the pitchers obviously have to come first. That's number one. Um, being behind the plate, I mean that's that's one thing that can't ever slump. You know, um, you know you're going to go through highs and lows when you're at the plate, and it's just one thing that's always going to be um, kind of present in the game. But you can't be slumping behind the plate. You know, pitchers see that and they don't trust you, and um, that that's a horrible feeling. So um, that's always priority number one. Um, whether it be extra meeting with them, talking over game plans, or doing some extra scouting, whatever it is, uh, that's always got to be priority number one. Nice. Maybe uh, a good frame of reference, like t- walk us through like a typical, you know, in season day, like what does your prep look like for say a, a seven o'clock game? How are you going to attack it? Um, yeah. So like we're on the road today, I'll probably head into the field around one o'clock. Um, I'll go through all of my um, special Eric Cressy uh, <laughs> workout, <laughs> workout regimen, uh, just my, uh, my mobility and kind of get moving, get yep. blood flowing and stuff. Um, I lifted yesterday, so I won't do that today, but um, after that, I'll go straight into the cage while I'm hot, get all my uh, my hitting prep out of the way and mm-hmm. whatnot. And then um, at some point in the day, whenever that starter gets in, I'll uh, I'll go over the um, lineup with our pitching coach uh, Chris Feather, and then um, we'll just kind of talk it out. You know, what guys are we comfortable beating us? You know, what guys don't we want us to beat or don't want to beat us? Um, where we can go in certain situations, uh, what pitches might be better to certain guys, just an overall pretty expansive uh, scouting report. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who's on the mound? You know, if, if that's not working today, what are we going to go to? Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. Um, who steals? Who bunts? Um, who's an opportunist to do both? Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of pretty much everything you can imagine. Um, just talking, talking over the lineup. And then um, after that, go out for BP. Come in, get something to eat real quick, head right back out, and and start the uh, pregame bullpen. So it's uh, yeah, we're there for quite a long time, but it fills up the stuff pretty yeah. quickly. Well, you will you take BP on field pretty regularly? Are you a guy that likes to see ball flight stuff, or is, is sometimes is it just cage work early in the day? Yeah, it depends what uh, what point in the season it is. You know, right now I don't feel hitting on the hitting on the field is um, too important. You know, first day in, in a new place, I like to get out there and just kind of see the backdrop. You know, see what the ball's doing and um, playing left field is yeah, um, kind of different than what I've known in the past. So I'll get out there and, and take some fly balls off the bat. You know, go around see what the um, what the pads are, are bouncing like in the outfield and throw some bases and stuff. But 
um, you know, I don't, I think that pretty much everything that I need to to do as far as checking my boxes and, and mm-hmm. how I feel can be done in the cage at this point. Anytime I can kind of save a little energy for, for the game, that's going to be crucial. Yeah. And how, how does the week work? Obviously, you know, it seems like catching is still like priority number one, but learning left field, playing some first base, like, are you going out and getting reps on, on the other two on a, on a really consistent base as well, just to, you know, kind of diversify yourself or is that something where, you know, like first base just kind of comes naturally. How, how do you attack it? Um, I definitely prioritize it um, catching left field and then first base. Um, yeah. When I was uh, pretty much splitting time behind the plate with Jake Rogers before he got hurt, I was um, probably catching five or six games out of 10 playing left field another two or three, and then maybe DH in or, you know, getting stuck at first base late in games or coming in and pinch hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I was definitely doing all my catching work on a, on a pretty daily basis. That's like I said, that's got to be probably number one. And that's the the quickest to kind of go away. You know, when you're not seeing velo and not seeing spin behind the plate, that can kind of sneak up on you a little bit. And, um, I was probably doing my outfield work once or twice a series. Um, just getting out there. Like I said, new ballpark and um, kind of seeing the ball fly a little bit, throwing us some bases and then, also, once a series, I'd get out, you know, uh, on a day that I wasn't catching and go take a couple ground balls at first base mm-hmm. and just catch up for the infielders and seeing what their balls do and stuff in case I get stuck over there. So it's pretty, um, pretty expansive, but mm-hmm. not, not too much at, at each place. Absolutely. Maybe, and, you know, we, we hinted at this a little bit, but let's, let's talk training. So maybe, maybe actually let's talk in season first. Like what's, what's in season look like for you? Like how often are you lifting? Are you a guy that's, you know, it sounds like you're super regimented with like daily warm ups first thing. What do you what do you do to mm-hmm. attack the week? Um, I really like the the way my body feels when I'm under load. So I uh, I actually lift more frequently, but my lifts aren't nearly as um, are nearly as hard. Yeah. Um, they're not as quite as intensive. So I'm a pretty much like every other day every mm-hmm. other day guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I like to to touch the weight, and uh, most of the time it's. Um, just pretty, pretty simple exercises. Yep. You know, um, I'm still squatting. I'm still deadlifting. Um, you know, pushing and pulling. Yep. Um, pretty, pretty easy stuff to do in season. Mm-hmm. But I like to feel that load. I like to, yep. you know, still feel strong. And um, that's that's one thing that I don't feel like I can ever really get away from. You know, mm-hmm. even if it's just you know picking up a kettlebell, swinging it, doing some yep. sit ups and stuff on on a day. I just need to feel that weight and. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm a guy who likes to feel stable. I don't really like yeah. to feel loose. Will you, um, will you chuck the med ball a little bit in season or do you kind of keep that to just off season mode? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, most of the time now it's, you know, maybe one or two, one or two sets of five yep. or six reps, just kind of, kind of getting in. I mean, everything I do during the season, like, you know, is rotational. So yep. I don't feel like I really need to supplement yep. that too much where yep. in the off season where I'm not doing nearly as much baseball stuff, I'll, I'll kind of really get after it and, um, you know, kind of get into some some hard rotational stuff and trying to, to peak out that power. But in season, it's basically um, just making sure I'm moving well and um, like a good warm up before I get into my baseball stuff. Absolutely. What about um, actual sprinting stuff? I know this has been kind of like a a little bit of a debated point in the, in the catchers I've talked with over the years. Like, do you will you do extra sprint stuff just to prepare for base running stuff, or is it you know backing up first base and stuff like that? Kind of gives you what you need on a on a regular basis. Um, I won't really do extra sprint stuff. I'll get out on the line before and I'll run a couple, you know, yep. three or four pretty hard sprints, make sure my legs are, are good and loose. But, um, you know, I can, I don't really um, do any extra, you know, um, bilateral stuff or any kind of like cone drills or anything like that. Like most of the time I'm getting pretty much everything I need 
uh, in the weight room and then mm-hmm. you know, on the line right before I get into the game. And obviously in the game, you know, if you're if you're playing every day, hopefully you're you're getting that sprint work in the game. I've always talked to people who like kind of don't understand like what actually happens like with baseball is that like everything people see on the line is kind of just it's bonus stuff, you know, like all mm-hmm. the really quality work happens, you know, indoors earlier in the day. You know, there, there's some guys that don't even come out to the line just because they don't necessarily see you know, tremendous value in some of that stuff. But it's, to me, mm-hmm. that's much more of like the transition to competition. It's, you know, feeling out the stadium, uh, the bright lights, all that stuff. So, um, it, you know, it says a lot that you do so much indoors before you ever get to that point. Yeah, um, definitely. Talking about the off season. So in season, obviously is meticulous and well-organized. Like how do you, how do you structure, you know, let's say the season ends, you know, first week in October, how are you going to outline a, a typical off season approach in terms of when you get back to it and then what the priorities are throughout different periods of it? Yeah. I don't really like taking downtime. You know, I've done that in the past. My body doesn't, doesn't really feel good after taking downtime. You know, let's say I take two or three weeks off. It feels like it takes me another two or three weeks to kind of get back up to be able to, to working out every day. And I don't really like um, feeling like I lose, you know, the first six weeks of my off season, just kind of getting back to how I ended it. So I'll still work out to some capacity, but it's mostly just kind of like active rest days. I'll be moving around and um, still doing all my mobility stuff and trying to make the process as easy as possible to kind of streamline back into getting back into a full on, um, you know, block once I once I pick back up. When will you actually start uh, like swinging? Like, do you do you take time off from hitting, or do you you like to just keep it rolling? Yeah, so baseball stuff's a little different. Um, you know, we're at that point, you're still so far away. You know, you're not really making crazy adjustments that early in the off season because you still just have so much time. Um, and I feel like when uh, when my body's in a good spot physically, like I don't really like taking the time off. Um, picking back up the baseball stuff seems to be pretty easy. You know, I haven't gotten tight. I haven't really. Um, done anything too far away from being able to pick back up baseball stuff. So for the first month or so, you know, I won't really hit or throw. Um, if I do, it's mostly just like some um, some arm care stuff, you know, mm-hmm. throw some plyo cares. And yep. um, I always kind of stay on top of that, like I said, so I can yep. pick back up pretty quickly. But um, overall intensity is very low, you know, just mm-hmm. we're so, so far removed from spring at that point. Mm-hmm. How about the actual catching side of things? Like, especially, you know, being, being cold weather in the off season and maybe not being around a ton of other pro guys. I know some catchers who, who don't need to, I mean, they don't want to receive until they get to spring training, which I think is a mistake, but you know, mm-hmm. there are other guys that, that just love to eat it up. Um, you know, they'll, they'll try to get as many reps as they possibly can. Where would you, where would you position yourself on that continuum? Um, probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I, I don't, I don't really do a whole lot of catching stuff until um, probably late November, early mm-hmm. December. Um, but even then, once I get into it, it's pretty uh, um, pretty thorough. You know, I do a lot of uh, high velo work off the machines. Yep. I'm seeing um, good spin off the machines and stuff. So when I actually start catching bullpens and stuff, I'm really not not too far removed from you know, seeing the ball, what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, come come spring training, so it's easy for me to just kind of set the machine up on, on a high velo and kind yeah. of re, re start retraining my eyes and glove patterns and stuff. So, you know, when I get to spring, I don't feel like, Oh, oh man, what have I, what have I been doing? I feel like, you know, that's actually pretty early relative to some of the ones I've, I've had conversations with is I feel like there are a lot of guys that kind of wait till January one. So it, it does say a lot mm-hmm. that you're doing this at Thanksgiving and December 1st and all that. Yeah. I just don't, you know, for me, I think a lot of it too, is just kind of, um, um, I don't feel right unless I get that work in. So even if it is just kind of 
you know, checking a box for a mental state, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, I always joke with people like never underestimate the placebo effect. So yeah. half of what we do in baseball might be chalked up to that. But, you know, if you just if you don't feel right not doing it, yeah. then, you know, what's the point? Yeah, it maybe leads into my next question. So you, you've been a very healthy guy throughout your career. Like you've kind of always answered the bell when when the time you know came. You know, do you, do you have like overarching principles that you think have been a crucial part of that? You know, what, what is it that you've done that's, that's made you, you know, durable to position where let, let's be real. Like you see a lot of guys who, you know, they jam thumbs or, you know, they pull groins or, you know, foul balls off their, their thigh or whatever it may be. You, you've mm-hmm. kind of always been able to play. What, what do you think you attribute that to? Um, part of it might just be a little crazy. You know, I think a mental state is, you know, I've always been a guy who's had to, you know, fight tooth and nail to get opportunities. So um, I feel like when I do get an opportunity, then you know, you're going to have to drag me out the field. Like something's going to be, you know, seriously wrong to not be playing. So, um, you know, I feel like I've never been in a position where I could turn down opportunities. So, you know, even if you are, you know, banged up, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not always going to be there, you know, when you, when you feel healthy. So, um, you know, there's been some of the best games in my career where I've felt absolutely terrible, you know, been banged yes. up, feel like something could be possibly seriously wrong. And, you know, you play through it and um, end up getting a couple hits or, you know, run into a, a um, crucial, crucial hit or, you know, do something good behind the plate. And then, you know, then you feel a little bit better the next day. And you're like, OK, maybe it wasn't that serious, but, you know, you pull the parachute too early. It might, might never get to that point. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. At the same time, you got to listen when it whispers, so you don't wait for it to yell. So I'm sure it's a, it's kind of a yeah. blend of the two. And then obviously, the work you put in to take care of your body is, is big to stay away from the chronic stuff when you know the traumatic stuff can can sneak up and get you at that position probably more than any other. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, you take a, a hard foul ball or whatnot. There's really nothing you can do about that. But yeah. a lot of the the prep, like I talked about, um, just staying on top of the little things. You know, whether that be. Um, you know, getting massage or foam rolling or going through all my mobility stuff, I can just kind of check those boxes and keep my body feeling pretty consistent and you know, hopefully can, can deal with those, um, you know, outside factors a little bit easier. Absolutely. All right. So when we, when we get close to wrapping up, we always rock a, uh, uh, like a lightning round. So we throw a bunch of questions at you. So the, you, you okay. may have even listened to these in the past. So what advice would you give to yourself as a teenager? If you go back in time, Oh, um, definitely just, uh, stay in the weight room. Um, that, that answers a lot of, you know, questions about what you're doing on the field, um, just what your body's doing in the weight room, how you're moving and, um, stay on top of, of lifting heavy. Don't ever back off. Um, and what about if you would, were talking to a aspiring catcher, like somebody who's 15, 16 right now that wants to be a big league catcher, like. Is there is the is the the, uh, the recommendation the same, or is there something else that you would say? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, pretty much the exact same. Um, you know, give those guys your all back there, and that'll go a long way. Just uh, creating those relationships is is more than half of just actually physically being back there. Uh, you want a guy that you can trust back there, and um, there's no better feeling than when that guy trusts you and he's executing. Nice. All right, these start to get a little bit harder as we go. What okay. te- what catchers do you like to watch, and, and why do you enjoy watching them? Oh, coming up, I really liked watching uh, Roberto Perez with Cleveland. I mean, he's just so calm back there. He's just a great blocker, absolute general. Yeah, I mean, he can catch, throw. He's just uh, all around a really, really solid catcher. And you know, I was I was spoiled watching him for a couple of years. And um, you know, just recently, I really like watching Real Muto, obviously. Yeah. 
Um, it, he's, he's a converted guy, and um, you know he doesn't doesn't really fit the mold of of a of a normal catcher. You know, he's um, can be on one knee, can be standing up. He kind of mm-hmm. does you know whatever uh, whatever the play might be asking is what he puts himself in position to do, and it's fun to watch. I think one of the things I've always been intrigued about is just guys who make adjustments really quickly. And you kind of mm-hmm. hinted at like being able to go to one knee, which is obviously a newer trend and stuff. But I even remember Perez, like in 2016, he really didn't catch Kluber a whole lot during the regular season because Jan Gomes was there. And then mm-hmm. um, Gomes was hurt and Perez jumped in and I mean, he caught him in the entire World Series and all that. So mm-hmm. just that adjustability to be able to get on the same page with someone, I think is really intriguing. For sure. So, and then, uh, Here's another one. Favorite teammate of all time and why? Oh, um, that's funny that you talk about Jan Gomes because he was uh, – my wife was right next to him first time I got called up. And, you know, if I had any questions, it was just, you know, follow Jan around. Uh, <laughs> he was a, a great teammate at a time where uh, everything was kind of brand new to me. Obviously, all the nerves of being in the big leagues for the first time. But um, he was just, you know, a great guy to follow. And, you know, there's a reason why he's still in the big leagues right now doing what he's doing. You know, he's uh, – He's an asset to wherever he goes, and, and he's a great guy. Nice. And then the last one, this is um, this is actually more of an intriguing one for me than maybe our audience. Where do you think the catching position goes in the years ahead? Because there's, there's obviously been a lot of adjustments over the last 10 years, whether it's you know guys paying way more attention to framing and us being able to objectively evaluate catchers better. You know, there's obviously talk of like a robotic strike zone. Like, where where do you think the catching positioning will be in 2030? Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to tell um, if they do go to the um, electric strike zone and stuff. Um, I think they're going to put a, a higher emphasis on guys who can swing the bat and block a little bit, maybe throw. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, receiving is not going to be as important if you know you don't have a real hand in it. So I think it kind of becomes a more of a, a power-based position, kind of like a corner outfield or a corner infield, um, where they're kind of willing to give up a little bit um, on the defensive side for, for maybe some power or hitability. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of really hard to say. I don't think it's ever going to get away from um, still the defensive-minded, you know, game calling and, and things like that just because of the receiving aspect not being there. I think that's always going to be – um, a really important thing being behind the plate. So um, it's kind of hard to tell, but um, you know, I think that just being adjustable and you know, being able to kind of, like you said, adjust on the fly is going to be huge. Nice. And then one last personal question. How terrified are you to have three teenage daughters at the same time coming uh, up on you? Cause I'm in the same uh, boat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely enjoy these younger years while they last. Cause right now, you know, they, uh, they melt my heart. They're awesome. But, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're definitely going to be coming up on that sooner than later, but, um, you know, at the same time, we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> you, it's a baseball thing. Everybody has a lot of girls and I know you've got a boy as well, but, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to do a study on this Sunday. I think it's 80% daughters across professional baseball. Jeez. Oh, so we're very outnumbered, but I'm uh, very appreciative though, too, because this was awesome. Um, so glad you were able to come on. Folks can find you on Twitter. It's at E H A A S E three. Um, good follow on Twitter. Always uh, celebrating what's great about the game. And um, Hey, it's so uh, awesome to see you having the success you have. You're a great dude and you put in the work and um, it's been fun to, to watch from afar and um, really, really appreciate you coming on and take the time with us. Oh, thanks for having me. It was awesome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, 
We'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.